Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Amen. Hallelujah. What a Savior. You know, somebody asked me, why do we keep the children in the service when we take communion? And and I was reminded of that this morning because uh, I have a little five-year-old that sits right next to me who says, why can't I have, I have the elements? And uh, so we had a short theology discussion on soteriology and, and why she needs to repent and believes. And, and uh, But I love that tension. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we want your kids here. They, we want them to ask questions about why, why can't they have this. And, and it just gives us as parents the opportunity to uh, share the gospel all the more in the midst of all that. So uh, that's one of the reasons why we do that, just wanting you to be a participate in that. And if your children are believers in Christ, we definitely want them to participate with us as a whole. Take your Bibles and open them to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, just want to remind you, tomorrow, uh, actually a week from today, we'll have our first Sunday night. We call them Sunday nights at Magic Valley Bible Church, and uh, we're going to do a Q&A, and uh, that little scan, is that what it's called? QR code, whatever that is, right? Um, do that on your phone, put your phone up to it, and you can ask a question of Nate and I, and, and we'd be happy to... Um, answer that for you that night, just opportunity of fellowship. I think there's going to be root beer floats. Is that correct? Make sure it's on the agenda. All right. Okay. Isn't it fun to delegate? <laughs> Let us pray. Father, again, thank you for the morning and for the joy it is to come. To be able to sit underneath your word, to be able to trust you, to, to walk in your ways, to marvel at your goodness and kindness to us. We are greatly pleased to be able to come and, and just admire and be in awe of all that you have accomplished, what you are doing, what you continue to do within our lives, as well as the fulfillment and the growing in sanctification and what it means to grow in Christ Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask that you continue to teach us as we look at your, your life, your ministry in the Gospel of Mark. We thank you that you have displayed with all clarity and precision and with truth exactly what we are to think of you, to believe of you, to trust you, and, and to walk in your ways. And so we just ask that the Spirit will teach us here this morning with the time that we have left. And so we love you and ask that you be with your servant. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Knowing that today is Communion Sunday and, and often the teaching time gets a little bit shrunk, I, I just want to look at two verses this morning. Uh, they're impactful. They, they help us to understand exactly what is happening in, in the Gospel of Mark. I want you to look, when, as I read verse 12 and 13, 
Mark chapter 1, two verses. Immediately, Scripture says, immediately the Spirit impelled him, Jesus, to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts. And the angels were ministering to him. Now, as a gospel believer, and if you read any of the other gospels, you know that there's great clarity of what exactly happened during that time of temptation. Mark is so quick into giving us the reality of this truth of events. I, I think part of it is because he's just wanting to get to the ministry of Christ, his proclamation and things. And so we go to the other gospels to give us a little bit of, of clarity. But, but if you notice the word immediately, which is a marker that Mark often uses to, to kind of keep us rolling, this is the second time he uses it. Verse 10, he's already used it, immediately Jesus coming out of the water. And then here, immediately the Spirit impelled Christ to go. And so he uses this word to keep us moving, to keep us thinking uh, on, on exactly who is the, the substance and reality of what Christ is doing. Mark moves us from this, if we remember from last week, the baptism of Jesus. This was uh, the authenticating Mark that God opened up the heavens and put his hand upon his, his Messiah, his his disciple, his anointed one, the, the fact that he is God the Father himself, sending him, God the Son, declaring it by sending the Spirit and proclaiming that this is my beloved Son. All of this is to, to show us that Jesus is the one that was prophesied, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that they have been looking for. Remember, scriptures have been silent for over 400 years. And in the midst of this, the forerunner comes and John the Baptist, and then Jesus comes in which uh, John the Baptist looks to Christ and says, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All of this is, is put together tightly, and, and it's remarkable. And, and like you say, he only takes two verses to, to, to bring us to this event that was very clearly described in the other Gospels as something that was important for us to understand. It's interesting to me that, that immediately after this affirming affirmation of the Trinity of the Godhead of, on Jesus, that he doesn't just immediately launch into ministry. He is immediately led by the Spirit, the Scripture's clear here, to go into the wilderness and be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. There's no rest. There's no celebration. There, there, there is just this immediate situation. And you get the, 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 the way that Mark's writing this, is that this immediately happened and the Spirit called him. And I think it's kind of interesting. We've got to ask the question, why is that the case? And it's interesting to me because in today's modern era of movies, the encounter of the hero versus the arch enemy, the enemy is usually the climax of the movie, and it's often at the end. But when we think about scriptures and we think about what's happening here, Jesus meets his arch enemy at the very beginning. It meets him at the beginning of his public display of ministry. And, and I think that's, this kind of gives us an understanding of exactly why this happened. It's not the first time that, that, that Satan will approach Christ. We know that he will approach him at the end in the garden as well. But why at the beginning? So what's the significance of this early encounter with Satan? And like I said, the answer is set in context, right? Just on the heels of his authenticating, affirming reality that Jesus is the Messiah, 
Satan comes a-knocking. And it would be God's prerogative to make sure that that authority, that, that for us to understand that Jesus has the ability to conquer everything and anything. And so he, we, we have this short encounter, according to the Gospel of Mark, that this happens, and Jesus is the victor. Jesus had received public affirmation that he's the Messiah, he's the appointed one, the anointed one. And so in his baptism, Jesus is, is granted divine authority, divine approval, that clearly this is the Messiah, that he is the one who has been ordained and foreknown before the foundation of the earth. And so in order for Jesus to reign, to know that this is the guy, and this is the divine human God-sent man, this, this is him, he puts him in front of his greatest test. And so God does it. He puts, leads him by the Spirit with his divine authority of the Messiah on display with his greatest challenge and the greatest weakness. And this is what's pretty remarkable. It, it, there, there's 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. You think of when you are at the greatest time of temptation is when you are what? Weak, tired, distressed, lonely, you know, the thought of, of, of these temptations and, and what's happening here, it's, it, it's, it, it, this is to show us so much about our Savior and our Messiah. And so it was, it was to put everything that has been shown publicly that Jesus is the Messiah, His authority is put to test. Now, what is interesting in Mark's account here in this temptation of Jesus from Satan is that he notes the encounter and that Satan tempts him, but you never know what the temptations were. Did you see that? He admits a few things going on here. He admits some of the things, but we get the sense that, that even at the end in verse 13, that the angels were ministering to him, which gives us the sense that Jesus is the victor, that things worked out well, that he didn't give in to the temptations of Satan. None of that's here in Mark's account. And like I said, I, th- I think he wants us to move along. I think he wants us to understand that, that, that Jesus is the victor and, and coming to the heart of the message, of the gospel message that, that Jesus Christ has called sinners to repent and to believe. And so he's driving us, moving us quickly. But this is a, a simple statement of Jesus has all authority and victory over any enemy that will come his way. This is his greatest enemy, and nothing can defeat him. I think that that's the joy when I read these two verses is that, listen, Christ is the victor. We don't need all the color to know that Jesus wins. And get this, beloved, Jesus will always win. He will always be the victor over Satan. As much as the world continues to go haywire, as much as there is sin and temptation and rewriting what is good and what is right... Jesus always wins. Now, as we pick up and examine verse 12, we see that Christ was compelled to go solo by the Spirit. In other words, he was led into the wilderness by the Spirit. Verse 12 says, immediately the Spirit impelled him to go into the wilderness. Jesus led into the wilderness, into Satan's territory. And often when we think about wilderness, we think of what? I think of trees. I think of loneliness and darkness. 
But according to Israel, our understanding of Israel, it's like an atomic bomb that is blasted is a wasteland, sagebrush, and, and just not a lot of life. This is the idea of what we have going on here. We got to understand that Jesus is on, on God's agenda. There, there's no time here to rest or celebrate. He's led into the wilderness and paled to go. Uh, that word in the Greek literally means that he was thrown towards the wilderness. It's not that Jesus wasn't going according to his own will. It's that the Spirit says, this is where we're going. And Jesus, of course, went that way. So he's led into the wilderness, a vast and barren place. It's a desert. And why does Jesus go? Scripture clearly tells us that he was going to be tempted. That he's going to be tempted. So God directed Jesus to go to be tempted in the wilderness. Now, Matthew's account in Matthew 4.1 gives us greater color. It helps us understand there that when Jesus was led up by the Spirit, it says there, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It was God's idea, right? For Jesus to meet Satan. And the battle of power is happening here. For one, Jesus is going to show us credentials. He's going to show that he's not going to succumb to the temptations and the, and the throes of the enemy. He's going to show that he's a true conqueror, that he's one who can overcome and not, even though in weakened state, succumb to temptation. He's going to demonstrate that he's holy, that he's righteous, that he's sinless, that he's pure. That there is only one way to know how strong you are. And you think about this, this, this testing comes to more greater light when you think about in the greatest of your weaknesses, when you're challenged by temptations of life, how strong is your faith? Now, of course, we know our Lord being divine, being holy, he is not doing to give way to the schemes of the enemy. Here we know that the, at the heart of the enemy that he is desiring to thwart the plan of God. He's trying to do things that would be contrary to, to the will of God. And what Satan uh, desires Jesus to do is to kind of thwart that whole thing. But the only way you know how strong you really are is when someone is trying to stop you. You realize that? Opposition in the Christian life is a good thing. You, re you understand that, correct? It, it's good when, when people challenge you about why you believe what you believe. It's good to be challenged by the gospel. It strengthens your resolve and what you believe and what you understand. But I want you to understand, Christian, that the gospel will always be opposed. The world doesn't like it. You understand that, right? It is opposed to the things of godliness. And not only that, for those who trust in Christ, the bearers, the messengers, the ambassadors of those who are in Christ Jesus, people do not like you. Why? Because you love Christ. Those who want to make Christ like living their goals will always be opposed. And the question is, will your opposition be greater than your faith? That's why Peter often tells us that, that we defend the hope that's inside of us, that we stand firm in the, in the things of the Scriptures, that we, that we understand and resolve and buy into all that Christ is doing, and we are able to stand on the promises of God. 
Verse 12 says that the Spirit impelled Christ to go in order to be tested, to be tempted. It's interesting to me. I mean, this is something that has the idea that there is going to be an opposer there. When somebody tempts you, it's opposing to what you believe or what you're called to do. And so here we have the God-man, the, the one facing great temptation, and yet proving that he is divine by not sinning. I don't know about you, it wouldn't take me long if you put a jar of peanut butter and a glass of milk, how many hours would it take for that temptation to overcome you? Um, I mean, it speaks to great things. Then you think about, I don't think any of us have ever gone 40 days without food or drink, trying to sustain. I mean, Jesus is at the point of dying. You understand that? And starvation has already, his body is screaming for some type of nourishment. And so here he is in the midst of this, knowing that this is the will of God, that he's going to follow what God has called him to do. The Spirit leads him into the wilderness, and he is facing a great temptation. What we find in verse 13 is that Christ continually struggled against Satan for a long time. And, and the reason I point this out is because it's very interesting how Mark uses the Greek here. Often we think, and Matthew does this for us, we get this in our mindset when we look at this account in Matthew 4, that, that the temptation came at the very end of the 40 days. Not so in the Gospel of Mark. Mark tells us that Jesus was literally being tempted day in and day out for 40 days and 40 nights. Matthew just tells us of the last three big ones and gives us an account of, of, of these temptations that, that, that are noted for us. But, but Mark gives us this, this idea using the present tense, look at verse 13, and as he is in the wilderness for 40 days, being presently, this is the idea, being tempted. He was continually being tempted by Satan. Five and a half weeks. A long time. Like I say, it doesn't take us very long for us to cry out. I mean, a day goes by maybe that we're without a meal, and then we're thinking we've got to feed ourselves. Matthew 4, 2 tells us that after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he became hungry. It's interesting in that, that word in Matthew 4, 2, hungry here, after 40 days of being without food, indicates now that Christ is in the process of starvation. He's fasting. In other words, he's giving up the things for the craving of the flesh to be in tune with the things of the Spirit. It's taking some time. But here he is. In, in, in the lowness of, 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 of low, I mean, this is the Immediate. I mean, this is the, the situation that where temptation and food being presented by the enemy, most of us would just jump on. But not so for our Lord. Not so for our Lord. When he is the most temptable. When he is the, in the most weakest state of, of human nature. The enemy hits him 
with the final three big temptations described for us in detail in Matthew and Luke. And so we see this being unfolded. Luke's account of the temptation agrees that, you know, this is an ongoing thing. He agrees with Mark. This is a continual temptation. Matthew, like you said, gives us those last three temptations. But those three temptations, these three kind of big guns, last shots across the bow for Satan to, to get Jesus off the course, has the idea of, of bringing down the will of God and bringing down the authority of God. Satan devises these schemes, these temptations. You and I both know that that temptation themselves are not sin. It's what we do with the temptation that allows it to become sin or not. But here we go. Jesus was being presented these things. The wilderness, barren land, nobody around. Mark even adds wild beasts. This is the only place in the Gospels that, that shows this. And it's kind of interesting that he would add this because even in the context of Mark writing, Christians were being fed to the beasts in the Colosseum. They were being fed. And yet I think it's there that, that Jesus is, is a reminder that Jesus is the conqueror, that he is going to be able to overcome even the wild beasts and to hold the faith and continue to walk in the goodness and kindness of God. I mean, this wasn't a pass or fail option for Jesus. This was either you get it all right or everything else is going to be wrong. And because Jesus withstood 40 days of attack, and because he was willing to fight and win for five and a half weeks against a constant attack, the reason was is because of the very reason why he came in the first place. And that was to seek and save sinners. I mean, Jesus, in the midst of all this, he understood exactly the perfect will of God. And because he could withstand from going into sin and withstand temptation to such a degree that we would never, ever fathom. Only He can be our perfect Savior and our sacrifice, the sinless sacrifice, the perfect Lamb of God. The Bible teaches us that, that God sent Christ, who is God Himself, who's 100% man and 100% God. In other words, divine God in the body. It was this union that allowed him to experience more pressure, more temptation, more of everything, yet not sinning. I think that gives us great hope. It should. You think about the the withstanding nature of Christ and, and this imputed righteousness that when salvation happens that you get from Christ, your ability to, to withstand temptations because of Christ should overwhelm you to know that you can withstand any temptation in Christ. Christ felt the full weight of temptation in every area and don't think that he wasn't tempted, tempted, I was going to say temptated, that's not a word. 
do not think that he wasn't tempted even as a baby and as he was growing up, he was. But here, all of this, he's been feeling the full weight of temptation in every area and not sinning. Matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews in 4.15 tells us, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. I mean, you talk about the compassion nature of Jesus. When you are in the midst of temptation, he knows exactly what you're going through and has the strength and the power to, to cheer you on, to continue to stay strong and not give in to the flesh and not give in to the ways of the enemy. Christ felt the full force of every temptation in every area without sin. That's why He's our high priest. That's why He's our Lord. That's why He's our Savior. Here He is in a wilderness, 40 days, alone, Scheme of the enemy, being attacked, tempted by Satan. Satan, as we well know, your theology tells you that he's a fallen angel, right? One who wanted to be equal with God. One who slithered into the garden in perfect paradise, allowed to. And yet Adam and Eve fell to the temptation of the enemy. So here you find him slithering himself into the wilderness where Christ is in the beginning of his public ministry desiring to attack his deity and his authority. By the way, the name Satan is derived from the Hebrew word meaning adversary. And so this is definitely pinning God's anointed against the one who desires to defeat him. He is the one that opposes God and his work. All of his minions do that today. And that's often where our opposition comes. The things of, of godliness is opposed by the darkness of this world. And anything done for the glory of God and in the power of the Spirit will experience this spiritual opposition from the enemy. Pretty simple desires to continue to use that, knowing that in the end he is going to be thrown in the lake of fire and condemned for eternity. But it doesn't stop him, right? Christ, feeling all this temptation, does not sin. Mark adds, like I said, something in the middle of that verse, talks about the wild beasts. He's there in the midst of all this. Everywhere he's looking, is he going to be safe? And at the very end in verse 13, he, he says that, and, and the angels were ministering to him. It's kind of interesting. This is also in the present tense. It has the idea that the angels were there to protect him. We know angels were given by God to, to protect and often shield. And, and so you see some of this going on. Matthew points that out as well with Mark and saying that these angels were continually they're ministering to Christ. Matthew describes the angels coming to serve mainly after 
uh, you know, the, the final testing, he gives that indication. But Mark seems to indicate that the angels may have been throughout this ordeal. He, they are there in the midst doing. We don't necessarily have the indication exactly all that they were doing, but we can kind of get an idea that they were there to protect and to help and to guide. The word ministering describes service, right? When we minister, we're, we're, we're servicing somebody else, somebody for the benefit of somebody else, for need of somebody else. And so here you have this situation where this account is quick. It, it, it is something that is, that is noted, however, but yet it's also important to understand that at the tail end of his baptism, that Jesus' authority is tested by the ultimate enemy against his authority, that being Satan, and he comes out the victor. It's interesting, he doesn't make anything, I'd say it's, it's, it's assumed as we continue to see this, because as we continue on in this gospel, it's going to be the same authority that's going to be able to cast out demons. And the only way he's going to do that is if he's able to have the authority to be over Satan himself and to be able to command these demons to go. Of course, God doing that. So in light of where we're at in the gospel, not giving you much color and not trying to dive too much into Matthew and Luke, I, I kind of want to leave this in, in, in the way it is, in a fast, rapid way, but I want to give you a little bit of takeaway. I want to give you a little bit of application. And there's just two. There's probably more that you can think of the Spirit can help you with. But the first is, is that there's nothing. I want you to walk away here this morning knowing that there's nothing that Jesus can't handle. That he is the great Savior and Lord. He's not only forgiving you of your sins, but I, th I think we look at salvation as, as something that is a one and done deal. But it has continuing effects in your life. Jesus handles everything that ever comes your way. And we'd be foolish not to go to him and cry out to him in prayer and go to him in, in, in prayer and seek his truth to be able to overcome the temptation that comes our, through, our, through our lives. We need to remind ourselves that there's nothing in your life that Jesus can't handle. With God, nothing is impossible, Scripture tells us. I mean, even your, your depression, even your, your discouraging thoughts, he, I mean, he overcomes all of that. He brings such comfort. He reminds us that he never leaves us nor, nor forsakes us. He uses this truth. He uses the love and, of others to carry the burdens that you have. I mean, all of this is, is just remarkable that Jesus overcomes the enemy. And in the end, we know that, right? But even in this present life, he does that for you today. I'm in correspondence with a prisoner in our state penal institution. We converse often. And I'm helping him understand this very truth that Jesus is the conqueror. That not only can he forgive your sins from your past doing, yes, you do have consequences, but yet understand that he can take you and, and bring you into the kingdom and make you valuable for his sake. So what that you're incarcerated? You have a, you have a captive audience so that you can minister to trying to help him understand the significance. And he's, he's rejoicing that God has got his heart. He's rejoicing that, that the Lord is working on his soul in the midst of this, this confinement. His, his heart has been, uh, I, I believe, truly redeemed. 
And, and he's telling me stories of his interaction with his fellow prisoners and how God is doing his work. Jesus is sufficient. I think the last one I want you to remember and, and hopefully puts a spring in your step, and that is that the Lord always wins. Jesus has never lost. I think Satan thinks in the midst of the day of crucifixion that, that he might have got the upper hand until the third day came, right? And the victory and his, his rising from the grave and his conquering of sin and doubt and even Jesus in the midst of his going. Scripture tells us in 1 Peter that he goes down and ministers to, proclaims the gospel to those who those angels that were captured there. It's remarkable. Jesus, always winning, was always the King of kings, always the Lord of lords, always has the right answer, the right truth, is divine, is holy. Knowing that, Scripture tells us that greater is he that is in you than, than he that is in the world. I mean, what a great takeaway. As you walk away from this, knowing that Jesus is sufficient for all my, he can handle all your problems, but knowing that he, you're on the right side if you're in Christ Jesus. And he wins in the end. I think that's the hope that you brought, Case. I mean, it's, it's, this is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. It's okay for the world to go to hell in a handbasket, Right? Christ still wins. May that be your encouragement, Christian, as you go from this place. If you don't know Christ, that should be a great concern for your soul. Listen, you're not going to win without Christ. You need Jesus. You need a Savior. You need to repent. You need to follow. You need to believe. And the only way to do that is by receiving His grace, receiving His forgiveness, and trusting Him as you go throughout life. Amen? Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for just a quick one through through a couple of verses that, that remind us of, of the sufficiency of Jesus. Jesus, you are the authoritative king. You are the king of kings and lord of lords. You clearly have displayed that and will continue to display that throughout this gospel. You have conquered sin and death through your crucifixion. You have, at the beginning of your public ministry, you have conquered Satan. You didn't give in to the temptations, the lie of the enemy, desiring to, to trip you up. For you are king, and you are Lord. And may you continue to help us as we go through this, this gospel. May we continue to marvel that at all that you are, knowing that you are sufficient for every need that we have knowing that you're the king, the victor, and that you win always. And so we love you, and we praise you and worship you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible, or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible.